Welcome to Taxland with me, Fletch Heineman. And me, Sarah Lancaster. So, Sarah, we're back talking about payroll tax. I know, so exciting. Um, and the last episode, we spoke about what causes different entities to be grouped for payroll tax purposes. Yep. So we looked at the fact that you could have different businesses being operated by different companies, trusts, partnerships, sole traders, um, and really some quite nefarious ways in terms of how they could be grouped. Very true. The extreme broad reaching consequences of the payroll tax grouping provisions. So in that um, episode, we spoke about certain ways that would mean that businesses weren't grouped for payroll tax purposes. But the reality is that because of how broad the payroll tax grouping provisions are, a lot of the time um, entities will be grouped Mm -hmm. um, and, but all hope is not lost. All hope is not lost. Um, because we have the ability under the legislation to apply for exclusion order applications. Yep. So we can apply for an exclusion order and the commissioner says, yes, you may be excluded from this payroll tax group. Um, and so, I mean, there's hope. There's a there's a there solution is. to potential payroll tax problems. Yep. But, I mean, it's a can be a particularly nerve-wracking solution process because we're asking the commissioner to exercise a discretion. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, and it's also, you know, a pretty lengthy process. Um, last I checked, the Queensland questionnaire that you have to fill out, the form that you fill out for an exclusion order application goes to 40-odd questions. Mm. I want to say 47, maybe yeah. it could be 43. Um, so it's a pretty detailed process um, and, uh, yeah, really need uh, some good uh, evidence and some submissions to make in relation to the ex- the test for exclusion, which we'll get to. Yeah. All right. So can we pick up on our case study from uh, the last episode because I really enjoyed the facts of that case study. So, um, <laughs> us, in our, us in our alternate lives. <laughs> us in our alternate lives. So uh, in that case study, um, I had a company that was carrying on a uh, coffee shop business in the Sunshine Coast hinterland, mm-hmm. very picturesque by a lake, serving wonderful coffee. Um, you were running a business, um, a dog grooming business through a company in Brisbane, Brisbane. Mm-hmm. highly successful, very busy. Um, on some occasions lending employees to you on the weekend. And sometimes lending employees. Um, and we'll add some facts as we go, but essentially we're grouped for payroll tax purposes. Mm-hmm. So even though I was spending most of my time on the Sunshine Coast, hinterland, and you were spending most of your time looking after the dog grooming business in Brisbane, um, we were both uh, directors and shareholders of the two companies, and so we're grouped for payroll tax purposes. Now, we both had a million dollars. Both companies had a million dollars worth of wages. So if separate, they would be under the payroll tax registration threshold. Yep. Um, but if grouped, they're not. They're not. That's very true. Yeah. Um, all right. So um, what do... We, how do we start with an exclusion order application? So we've identified that we are grouped for payroll tax purposes. We now need to think about how we're going to ask the commissioner to degroup us. Yeah. So the commissioner uh, under the legislation can and has the discretion to make an order in writing, which we refer to as an exclusion order, mm-hmm. uh, excluding a person from a group. Yeah. And the reference to person there is a reference to the the entity the that's entity. carrying yeah. on the business. So yep. in our case, um, you would apply for 
one of the entities to be excluded from the payroll tax group. So we might apply mm-hmm. for your, you know, the company that operates the coffee shop business mm-hmm. to be excluded from the payroll tax group. Yep. That's step one. So we have to make an application to the QRO. We do. There's yep. an application. It goes in. Um, there's a specific form. Declarations must be signed. Yeah. Um, it goes through a whole lot of factors that the commissioner takes into account when they're looking at whether or not to exercise that discretion. Yeah. Now, the legislation contains um, some statutory requirements. So the commission's yeah. got to be satisfied about a couple of things before we're even in the ballpark of getting yeah. an exclusion order. Yep, that's exactly right. So, um, yeah, it, it is a discretion in the sense that the commissioner may make an exclusion order, mm-hmm. but the commissioner can only make an exclusion order if um, he's satisfied that a business is carried on um, independently of mm-hmm. and is not connected with the carrying on of a business by any other business being carried on by any other member of the group. Yep. So, um, putting that in a practical example, because as we know, the payroll tax legislation gets a bit wordy at times. Um, If we've got, if we're applying for an exclusion order, excluding the coffee shop business from the dog grooming business, Mm -hmm. then what the commissioner needs to be satisfied of is that the coffee shop business is carried on independently of and is not connected with the carrying on of the dog grooming business. Yep. So so those two phrases there. Yeah. And would we deal with those separately, look at them as separate elements, as in the independent first, and then there's no connections? Uh, Yeah, it's a good question. I... I mean, the way that the submissions often fall is that um, you you do separate them out mm. um, in practice. Um, I think it's important that you do, but sometimes a lot of the focus in these exclusion order applications is dragging the analysis back up to whether or not the businesses, I mean, here we're looking at the business rather than the underlying entity and the yeah. cases do say that you've got to make a distinction. It can be quite, it's a nuanced distinction to make when we go through the factors mm. um, that the commissioner takes into account. But um, it, really you're looking at the focus has got to be on whether or not they're carried on independently of um, or whether or not there's any connection. So independence often goes to, um, you know, where things, where the businesses are being carried on or, you know, if there are completely different people involved in the decision-making in the businesses and how the businesses are carried on and connections might amount to something like, for example, if there's loans between the companies or loans between the businesses or if there are, you know, common employee arrangements, things like that. Yep. Um, But we've got a specific, so we're out of the ballpark if we've got related bodies corporates. Yes. Yeah. No power to make an exclusion order if you're related bodies corporate. So there we go back to the definition of um, subsidiaries. You're looking at whether or not companies are subsidiaries. Yeah, okay. So provided we're grouped under the commonly controlled businesses test or the common employees test, we can continue to pass go. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, do not pass go and you're grouped for payroll tax Indeed. Purposes. Or figure out a different solution. Um, and then what about, so, which is, going to be a really common problem is that somebody's only identified recently that they're actually groups for payroll tax purposes, just like our example where we're not in tax mm-hmm. land and we don't know what we're doing for payroll tax purposes. And we've actually been trading for the past four years. Yeah. Can so we- 
Yeah, good, good, yeah, good point because exclusion orders can be, I'll use the unofficial term, backdated. Yeah. You know, so the commissioner has the power to make an exclusion order that's effective as from the relevant date. Yeah. So yeah. that relevant date, and this can be quite helpful when you're thinking about businesses that should be excluded because you might have a couple of different dates. Yeah. Yep. That are, are appropriate for an exclusion order to be made. Because their connections change. Because, yeah, the connections yeah. change or the way the business is carried on shifts. Yeah. Um, and a good example is, for example, a manager coming in, taking on more of the responsibility and mm. really taking over the control of the management of the business itself. Yep. And, you know, for example, you know, you've got different agreements at a director level or you've got different shareholder agreements, for example, that sort of shift the the, mm. the ownership and control of the business. And it might be from that date, the date that those agreements come into effect um, is another potential date for the businesses to be degrouped. So, yes, mm. you can you can backdate a, an exclusion order. It's an effective from an earlier date. Mm. We often apply for exclusion orders, for example, from the date of registration of a company. So we yeah. say that, yeah, since we started the company, it shouldn't have been a member of the group. Please give us an exclusion order. From that date. Yeah. 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 Um, we'll get into some interesting fact patterns about that when we get down to talking about uh, one of my favourite cases, Shadforth <laughs> Lithgow. Um, but let's not uh, let's not jump the gun. So, okay, so we've got those two elements. We need to make sure that the entities are carrying on businesses independently of each other and they're not connected. The businesses aren't connected with the carrying on of each other in the group. After that, the commissioner then has to consider various factors. Yep. What are we looking at there? Yeah, so when looking at whether or not he makes an exclusion order, um, that he has to have regard to three, well, three factors, but really there's multiple factors in the third factor, but let's yeah. start with three. <laughs> so the first- Three plus plus plus. Plus plus plus. The first is the nature and degree of ownership and control of the businesses carried on by mm-hmm. the business that's seeking to be excluded and yep. everyone else in the group. Yep. The nature of the businesses. So there you're looking at, yeah, what the businesses actually do, what industries they sit in, things mm-hmm. like that. And the third one is a catch-all, any other matters the commissioner considers relevant. Lol. So any other matters <laughs> the consider, commissioner considers relevant. Yep. So what would those other matters be? Well, this is a very good question. Right now, thankfully, they've been reduced to writing. <laughs> so <laughs> it's not a free-for-all. We can't, we, we, it's been a while since we've just added a new factor in that I haven't considered. Um, but they're set out in um, each of the each of the state revenue offices will have uh, some form of public ruling or a ruling mm-hmm. that's published that sets out all of the different factors that the commissioner takes into account. Mm-hmm. Some of them overlap with the first two overarching factors. Mm -hmm. So the first one is the nature and extent of any commercial transactions between the members, Mm -hmm. including the value and percentage of the employer's total business, which is conducted with other members of the group. Yep. So if, for example, you have a business that supplies sand and gravel and you have another business that builds roads Mm -hmm. and that other business purchases 95% of its sand and gravel for its road base, um, that's going to be a relevant consideration under under this first aspect. And I don't actually know if sand and gravel go into a road base. Sorry, that sounded very very knowledgeable. My father-in-law might be be a little bit upset that I don't know after all these years what goes into a road base, but we'll leave it there. 
The second factor that we take into account under the ruling is the extent to which members share resources, facilities, services, including premises, staff, management and accounting services. Mm -hmm. The third one is the extent to which the employer controls or is involved in managerial decisions and day-to-day administration Mm -hmm. and the extent to which other members control or are involved in managerial decisions and day-to-day administration of the employer. So there you're looking at, I often say, who's who in the zoo. So you're looking at who controls and makes all the decisions um, on a day-to-day basis and then at a management strategic level of the entity or the business seeking to be degrouped or excluded and then – whether or not that person is different or the same as the business is carried on by the other mm-hmm. entities in yep. the group. Yep. Uh, the fourth one is the extent to which there are financial interdependencies, including intergroup loans, guarantees, common banking facilities, and terms and conditions. So you'll often um, answer questions as to whether or not, um, you know, a director of one company guarantees loans or leases from, you know, an entity, from mm-hmm. a different entity, the entity seeking to be degrouped. Mm-hmm. or excluded, I should say, um, the degree to which there is a connection between the employer in the per- and other members of the group in the purchase of sales of goods and services. Mm-hmm. So without getting too far ahead, we'll go into, uh, you know, common supplies of and bulk ordering of uh, alcoholic Alcohol. beverages yep. in the <laughs> nice. future. Yep. Um, the extent to which there's a connection between the nature of the businesses of the employer and the other group members. So mm-hmm. then that goes to that nature of the businesses, you know, overarching um, factor yep. and the extent to which there's a connection between the ultimate owners of the employer and the other members of the group. Mm. I put an asterisk next to that one because I think that that really highlights um the difference between the test for whether or not entities are grouped, and I use the word entities. Mm-hmm. So if you're carrying on a business as a sole trader, company, trust, partnership, whatever it may be, yep. the ownership of that entity is slightly different to the ownership and control of the business that the entity carries on. Yeah. So in the first, we're really looking at the entity, which is the you know, the catalyst for the payroll tax group being formed. So the legal structure, the, the legal company, structure. partnership, yep. trust. Yep. Yep. The test for exclusion focuses on the business, yeah. not necessarily the entity. Yeah. But the issue that you have is that that can be a bit tricky in practice because one of the factors that the commissioner takes into consideration is the ownership and control of the business. Mm. So when you're looking at ownership in that test, it has to be slightly different. The focus has to be slightly different on the business as opposed to the underlying entity. Mm. Yeah, it's tricky wording, isn't it? You can understand if you if you broke ownership and control down into two elements, you can understand who controls the business because that can take you to a day-to-day management analysis as to who's actually controlling the business. Um, where a business is operated by a company, um, it's difficult then to then talk about, well, who owns the business? I mean, yeah, the, company, the company owns the business. The company yeah. technically owns the business. Yeah. And then you've got people owning shares in the company. So, um, but I, I think the, um, the important point there is we just have to be careful that the reason that somebody has been grouped to start with, because there's been, for example, uh, commonly controlled businesses at the ownership level, at the shareholder level, we're comfortable that that then means that you can still get degrouped 
Yep, you can still get degrouped, yeah. The reason that you're grouped in the first place can't be the only reason that you're not then excluded, that you're not degrouped. Yeah, yep. Um, all right, so we're looking at the entities rather um, – so we're looking, in looking at whether somebody's grouped, we're looking at the entities, in looking at whether they're degrouped, we're looking – Solely at the businesses or primarily at the nature of the businesses? I think primarily at the nature of the businesses because your ownership of the underlying entity is still going to be a relevant factor. Yeah. The the tricky part in the the exclusion order cases involve the difference and really is a real fact-dependent case. You might have- um, you know, there's a there's a good example of a case called Telgrove where you've got the same people who own, have the underlying ownership of the entities, mm-hmm. but what the evidence suggested is that one of the directors was responsible for all of the you know, managerial and strategic level you know, yeah. control. So yeah. when you're looking at an exclusion order application, the fact that you have the same directors and shareholders across the entities can't be the only reason that those entities aren't excluded. Mm-hmm. So going back to our facts, where we're the, the joint directors and shareholders of each company, the yep. coffee shop company and the dog grooming business company. Um, so once the commissioner gets to that factor that they're looking at the ownership and control of the different businesses, bearing in mind the businesses are each operated by a company, um, comfortable that we can still continue even oh. though together we own 100% of the shares of each company. Yes. Yep. Let's embark on our degrouping journey. Excellent. That's good because we've got more to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm going to add some facts to our case study. Um, so we're going to use the same accounting firm and law firm. Could we oh, lawyers? Yep. Sounds like a good idea. Um, there is a small loan of $12,000 between the entities. Now, that was for some coffee machinery that um, my company – well, sorry, I say my company, inverted commas. But <laughs> <laughs> your business, maybe. It's uh, our company, your business. <laughs> yeah, delivered to, and that delivered to yours about five years ago and you never paid me for. I haven't forgotten. It's in the financial statements. Clearly. Um and when I have some- Is that some, a going price for a coffee machine these days? Well, I've got coffee machines there, so <laughs> I feel that that's- The dogs uh, must be thirsty. But yeah. Um, and when I've got some work to do in Brisbane, so I come and hang out in your office for the day, um, which seems like a nice, generous thing for your office, I thank you. No worries. Um, and this happens about one day a fortnight on average. So- we have some connection. Oh, sorry. And I should say when I, I'm not just coming down for lunch, by the way, like when I'm coming down to work, I'm doing coffee shop work. Oh, you're not getting the clippers out? No, no. no not no. going to give Mojo a bath while you're there? No, but he probably does need a bath. This Mojo's <laughs> our, our Labrador puppy that's um, causing all sorts of havoc in our household at the moment. Anyway, so um, we have some connections. Yep. Um what are we looking at for those connections? Can we still successfully apply to the commissioner to get a degrouping order? Yeah, I say we can. Yeah. We should. Um, the, the reason why we can and we should, though, is that um, it's not – all the cases say that it's not enough for an exclusion order to be refused So, if there is any connection. So just because you have connections, it doesn't necessarily disentitle a business from being degrouped, mm-hmm. those connections have to be, and the phrase is material and not insignificant or inconsequential. Yep. 
material. And so it's really a question of fact as to whether or not the connections that we identify are material and not insignificant yep. or inconsequential. So if we're saying that you can't have any connections whatsoever between the two businesses, that's probably setting things too high. Mm-hmm. It's you know, too much of a bar. No one can jump over it. Um, so it needs to be. So if you're going to disentitle um, an entity but from being excluded, mm-hmm. the connections that exist have to be meaningful. So they need to be meaningful in a commercial sense and not immaterial. Yep. So, for example, so, I mean, change those facts again. Um, if that small loan of $12,000 was not a small loan and it was in fact, you know, a regular amount lent to the dog grooming business to prop the dog grooming business up because yep. it wasn't doing as well as some as well as the um, coffee shop business, mm-hmm. um, then you potentially have a different outcome there because that could be meaningful. That yeah. could be meaningful in a commercial sense because the dog grooming business doesn't operate profit profitably without that financial funding. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. But if it's just a 12, if it's an initial loan for some coffee machines that I just, uh, expensive coffee machines for my employees and I to have a coffee, mm. like we're not selling <laughs> coffees to, to the dogs or to their human owners, <laughs> then, you know, that one-off initial loan, um, yeah, might, might not be mm. material in a commercial sense. I'd still probably recommend that we repay it before we apply for an exclusion order. Mm, that's a good idea. And then for the using the same accounting firm and the same law firm, now if we assume that we've got separate client agreements and yep. each of the, the accounting firm and law firm are carrying out separate files and invoice. Everyone's paying separately paying and invoicing separately. separately. Yep. Comfortable that's not a material connection. No. Your favourite case, Shadfalls Lisco said that. Do tell us yeah. that? Yeah. Um, and then what about um, me coming to hang out in your office? And I'm using that term really loosely at the moment. I mean, technically, I've probably got some sort of license to use that space. Yeah. On I, an ad hoc basis. On an ad hoc basis, do you? Are you paying valuable consideration for it? That's no, the question. No. I still don't think it's material enough. But again, if you're mm. going to be there, and part of the dog grooming business is the license fee that you pay the that you pay me every month for mm-hmm. using that office space. You potentially yeah. have a different a different result. Um, what about if there's a and this is a recent um, fact pattern that I had in practice? What happens if um, you've got a shed because you've got so much dog grooming business activity going on, and there's a spare office in that shed, and that's just allocated for me? Sorry, I say shed. I really mean like a giant showroom thing. I'm thinking like a yeah, commercial. Yeah, industrial complex yeah, situation. Yeah, yeah polished a, concrete floors. Yeah, yeah, something nice like that. Um, and there's a separate office in there that's exclusively for my use. Hmm, this is a good question. Mm. What do you use it for, for your coffee shop business? Yeah, because I have to come and see supplies and that sort of I thing. I still don't know that it'll meet your material like in a commercial sense, you know, if you look mm. at the business overall, if my dog business is, I don't know, turning over revenue of $2 million a year mm-hmm. and you're sitting in a small part of the premises mm. doing your paperwork, I don't think that's material to the carrying on of the dog business. Like yeah. it's, you know, that part of your business is not um, dependent, uh, is not connected with and that doesn't mean that my dog grooming business is dependent on your coffee shop business. Mm. Um, and Got to keep coming back to those two, you know, threshold questions. Yeah. Is the business dependent on or connected with the other businesses in the group? Yeah, and particularly if we're looking at it at a business level, I think I think we potentially get a different 
well, question, do we get a different result if I start meeting customers, suppliers? Potentially, yeah. From those premises? You start actively carrying on your business from those premises, we mm. potentially get a different one, fall yeah. into like tasty chicks yeah. territory. Um, all right. So, well, let's go to tasty <laughs> chicks then. Um, Unintended great segue. <laughs> <laughs> it's on our list of things to talk about. Um, so, well, let's talk about whether businesses are carried on independently of each other. So what's going on in Tasty Chicks? Meanwhile, we need to talk about Tasty Chicks because it's the best name for a company that- Take it away. What did Tasty Chicks do, Fletch? I remember, I thought, anyway, you you tell me about Tasty Chicks and I'll tell you what I thought about it when I first heard the case. (laughs) Um, What you thought about Tasty Chicks being that, so I think, I mean, the, the issue with Tasty Chicks was that it's an example of vertical integration. So what- yeah. yeah, what is referred to as vertical integration in the in the case law. So, seventy five percent of the revenue of Tasty Chicks was derived from its services to a company called M and J Chickens. Chickens. Um, and then the question was whether the business of an entity called Angelo Transport was not connected or on substantially independently of M and J Chickens. Um, and it looked at ninety nine percent of its revenue was derived from its services to M and J Chickens. So really, I mean, what's critical here is the percentage, like significantly high percentages of revenue yeah. from the businesses being derived from each other. Like- yeah. And I mean, that that type of vertical integration, I think, you know, that really creates a problem in terms of trying to get an exclusion order application over the line um, when you've got that level of dependent, even if we don't say it's dependence, in this case it was because it was one entity was dependent on the other for all of its work. Um, but what happens when we get common customers? So rather than one entity being a customer of the other entity, you know, if, for example, the dog grooming business and the coffee shop business, if there's a, a, a pool of common customers, and we've drafted the case study so there's not, but if there was somehow um, a series of common customers, does that cause us problems in trying to get a degrouping Exclusion yeah, order it's a factor right? that you're going to have to address in your exclusion order application, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, your range of common customers are going to be different. So, for example, mm. um, you might have a product company that sells products to, you know, an engineering firm, for example, and the product company might have three customers. Mm. One of those companies is the engineering firm, another one is an external customer. Yep. Call it company A. Yeah. The engineering firm has, you know, 10 customers and company A is one of its com- customers, but mm. it came along because of the connection with the other entity in the group. Yeah. That, that I think is going to be a more a high risk. But again, in isolation, sure, this could be an issue for having someone excluded, but mm. it's not, you know, it's never just one factor. That will yeah. that will determine it. I think there are some significant factors, and Tasty Chicks is a good example because the you know the amount of revenue that was dependent on other members in the group. Mm. Um, but yeah, the, the cases I think are vary, and it's really yeah. just a matter of sitting down and and looking at the business as a whole. Mm. All right, can we talk about Shadforth Lithgow? Please do. Um, Your favourite degrouping case. Well, it's favourite degrouping case because brings back fond memories. Yeah, it was a it was a large chunk of our uh, professional lives for a period of time there, running that through to uh, through QCAT. Um, so the I'll just go through the yeah. Facts what were the facts? Tell us best, about it. Yeah, as best I can remember. Um, 
<laughs> which is going to test the memory. So there were. I'll jump in. There were. Thank you. There were three separate entities that we were looking at in the Chadforth Lithgow decision. So the the first one was that there was a unit trust, Chadforth Lithgow. Yep. Um, and it carried on a a, a business that was a construction business. So yep. it constructed uh, commercial offices, retail showroom, that sort of thing. It was based on the Sunshine Coast. Still is. Now the um, principal, main principles of Shadforth Lithgow were um, Mr. Shadforth and Mr. Lithgow, unsurprisingly, um, and they were also keen on their pubs, um, and so they decided at one point in time that they were going to buy a pub um, in Roma called Irish McGann's. I know the pub. Know the pub. I know the pub. Apparently, it's got really good wood-fired pizza. Mm. Can you affirm? Yeah, well, they did back in the day. I've had a pizza there, actually. Yeah, nice. Um, so they got into – so they set up a new entity through new family trusts. So each of them had their only family trust that they controlled and there was a third party, Peter Stark, who also came in uh, with that partnership. There's also a 10% partnership interest um, to uh, one of the managers out there. Mm-hmm. So um, – but between um, – Shadforth and Lithgow, they still had more than than 50% 50%. of the partnership of Irish McGann. So grouped under the commonly controlled businesses test. Mm -hmm. A couple of years later, um, the Rainbow Beach Hotel went up for sale. Oh, the great pub. Um, These guys picked it up Mm -hmm. um, and they bought it in a new company called Platinum 4224. Yep. Um, and in that case, it was uh, Tony, De- sorry, Tony Shadforth, Dean Lithgow, and uh, Peter Stark as well. Yep. So same same crew. Um, so again, we're grouped from a commonly controlled businesses point of view. So um, the commissioner audited, and an exclusion order application went in. Now the the material, so the um, the material connections, if we look at it that way, so a high level of common control and ownership at the shareholder and director level. Um, The day-to-day management, the pub in Roma was managed by a manager out there who was responsible for everything essentially, bearing in mind that um, Tony and Dean were busy running their civil construction business on the the Sunshine Coast. Separate manager for the Rainbow Beach Hotel when that got up and running. Um, so again, these guys were active at a strategic level in terms of the decisions that were related to the business, but not certainly not on a day-to-day management. They're not right. taking bookings. They're not pulling beers, anything like that. Um, not yet. Anyway, maybe. Um, and then there was a minor amount of work that Shadforth Lithgow did, so construction work that yep. they did to the uh, the pubs. Early on, the commissioner accepted that that work was minor. It was charged at commercial rates and it was paid. Paid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, query, certainly not a question of dependence, but query whether that was a material connection. But I think it was accepted quite early on that that wasn't, wasn't going to yeah. hit the, the bar for material. Um, the most material connection between, and bearing in mind this is, so we've got three entities here. So going back to, uh, the last episode where we looked at to get an exclusion order, we have to make sure that each business is not connected with the other business. Mm-hmm. So going back to our subsumed point. So um, between when Irish McGann's, the partnership that bought the Roma pub was established, 
Um, the Shadforth Lithgow funded it with a loan of about $200,000 thereabouts. Mm-hmm. Now, that 200000 was representing Tony Shadforth and Dean Lithgow's respective capital contributions, contributions into yeah. that, that partnership. It just happened that the payment went directly from the unit trust into the, the new partnership. Um, so that was the uh, connection that we were looking at there. And then the connection between the two pubs, bearing in mind that the pubs are you know, hundreds of kilometres away from each other. Um, so there was a common supply agreement in the sense that they had one agreement with Carlton United Breweries for the yep. supply of alcohol. Um, there was also a, a supply agreement with Coca-Cola mm-hmm. Amatil. Um, Now, from memory, and correct me if I've mistaken in terms of my memory here, but the the CUB agreement had a joint ordering process and had a rebate for it. So once they ordered a specific level, sorry, a specific volume of alcohol over a period of time, then a rebate was available. Um, By contrast, under the Coca-Cola Amatil agreement, the uh, there was no rebate, and both of the entities ordered and paid for their products separately. Yep. So probably it's under the same file, but realistically, is being dealt with separately on yep. a day to day basis. Um, same accounting firm, same lawyers in the sense of running the payroll tax grouping mm-hmm. uh, applications. Um. So where we get to with that, then, um, over the course of the um, it was during the the audit when we identified that there was this two hundred thousand dollar loan. We went, well, be good if that wasn't that loan wasn't there. Um, so that was repaid. Yep. Um, at a period during that period, and from the period of time that the loan was repaid, the commissioner accepted and granted an exclusion order from that time. Yep. So there was no material connections left at that time. Is your cub agreement still in place from that time? The cub agreement was also Did terminated you have separate- around yeah. about the same time. So once we identified- Because with this one you had one one cub agreement. So the mm, Roma pub, the entity, the Irish McGann's partnership, mm. signed the agreement and the agreement was that um, cub uh, yeah. then uh, supply alcoholic beverages of the kind to both the Rainbow Beach Hotel and the pub out in Roma. Yeah. Yeah. So you have one one agreement. It then what happens to it? It gets terminated. It gets terminated as well. Yeah. yeah. So both of the, I guess, both of the factors that the commissioner had identified as causing a problem were um, removed from a specific point in time, and the commissioner accepted that once those factors were removed, there was no meaningful material yeah. connection. Goes back to this point. Just keep an eye out for your alternative exclusion dates. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so the taxpayers still proceeded with the so. By this stage, everybody's excluded. Yeah, probably rightfully so from that stage because they were plainly carried on independently of at the business level. Yeah, and didn't have any connections with each other. Um, but still, asked the tribunal to review the back period, so the period when the loan was there, and then also the period that the CUB agreement was still in place. Mm-hmm. Now, the the issue with the loan agreement was interesting because it really came down to a question of fact and. As you said before, you might have situations where people are providing um, financial support and that really indicates a dependence between one entity and another entity. In this case, the commissioner had done some analysis um, 
themselves and had identified that actually the loan balance, the importance of that loan balance diminished very rapidly after these guys had bought the pub at Roma just because the pub got off, you know, the business started doing Went well. Went to a flying start, yeah. Really well. Um, and so the evidence was that it could have repaid the loan uh, at any point in time, had the, yeah. the ability to do that. Um, and then that was sort of borne out in in practice when it actually did repay that amount. So the tribunal looked at that and distinguished those facts from other facts where the loan was necessary to support the startup of the business and said, oh, well, in this case it wasn't you know, a form of financial mm-hmm. dependence. Mm-hmm. Um, between Shadforth, Lithgow, the unit trust and the Irish McGann's Irish part. McGann's, yep. Yeah, um, which was – yeah, correct as a, a question of fact. Yeah. So the the tribunal then gave the backdated exclusion order application all the way back to when the partnership commenced. Nice. Yeah. Um, different results for uh, Platinum and uh, Irish McGann's in terms of the the CUB agreement and the Coca. So um, the tribunal distinguished and said, well, the Coca Cola Amatol agreement, yes, it's under the same file, but there's no connection in the sense that everybody's ordering separately, paying for it separately. Um, but for the CUB agreement um, said that because there was a rebate situation in place, um, that was a connection. Mm. So Material connection. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's something that I guess people need to be mindful of that, you know, there's probably a fine distinction there between having that effectively a joint supplier agreement for the Coca-Cola Amateur one that yep. was okay and then the CUB one that wasn't Lots okay. But at the end of the day, don't have joint supplier agreements is really probably the yeah. moral of that story. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So, well, that's a yeah, very quick survey of degrouping for payroll tax uh, in tax land. Um, if you're enjoying Taxland, please follow us and leave us a rating on Spotify. Remember that we're on a new channel and you can find us by searching Taxland with Fletch and Sarah on Spotify. One word, Taxland. One word, Taxland. There's also a great song there. If you search Taxland, there's also a song. It's not connected with us. Um, Stop Vicky's it. laughing because have you not heard this song? No. There's no lyrics because I, I, I listened to it because I thought, I wonder if Taxland, the song, talks about Taxland and, you know, is some sort of kindred spirit with us. But no, no, I don't think so. So I don't know. I don't know how they've titled that <laughs> You're text. <kidding. laughs> Go and listen to it. Um, and anyway, we're still looking for uh, to land some Taxland merchandise when we've got enough followers. So please leave us a rating and follow so that uh, Vicky can go and get us a budget to go and buy some Taxland merchandise. Until then, thank you very much for travelling to Taxland with me, Fletch Heineman. And me, Sarah Lancaster. 